0: Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 284, recorded at Big Dog Studios in Eugene, Oregon. Today's show is made possible by Mudpod Design House. Ideas are great. They're what businesses are made of. If you have an idea and want to make it a business, you need a website. MudpodDesign.com makes websites for idea people every day. The Practical Herbalist. Herbalism is easy when you take a practical approach. At The Practical Herbalist, we've got loads of researched, tried and true tips, and techniques to make herbs part of your daily life. Learn more at ThePracticalHerbalist.com. Plants love to show us their secrets, most especially when those secrets involve us humans. They cherish their history with us, and they love to inspire us to uncover the good, the bad, and the healing in those stories. Today we're talking with Ditra Cohen and Adam Siegel, authors of Ashkenazi Herbalism, Rediscovering the herbal traditions of Eastern European Jews, but finding the way to uncovering the healing history of the plants. Now, here are your hosts.
1: I'm Candace Hunter. I'm Patrick
0: Hunter. And, and welcome, welcome to Real Herbalism, Real Herbalism Radio. Radio.
1: Hi, Deidre. Hi, Adam. Welcome. Hello.
2: Thank you. We're so happy to be here talking to you.
1: I was so thankful when I got the request to do an interview with you guys, because I thought the, the book that you've written was going to be, and I was very excited because it actually turned out to be even better than I expected, but I thought it was going to be a really interesting dive into an aspect of herbalism that we overlook pretty much like all the time. I mean, we always talk about Western European herbs, or we talk about Ayurveda or you know, traditional Chinese. There's this big swath of area where herbs were so powerful and so relied on and so cherished, and we almost never even touch on them. So. I want to thank you guys for writing Ashkenazi Herbalism right off the bat.
2: It was a labor of love. We really, really enjoyed working on it. And we loved working on it together. Was it
1: something that you've been like dreaming of since you were a small child? Were you always like, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to write this incredible herb book? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um, No, Um. it was a total surprise it just kind of developed really naturally and um I almost didn't do it but then um it just seemed like it needed to be out there for other people so that's kind of what happened it was not it didn't come easily to me in a lot of ways Mm um I Really had to push myself to do it because I've never done anything like that before, and so it—it it was like I said, it was a labor of love, but it was definitely you know there is labor involved. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> were you an herbalist first, or were you a researcher? Shall we say first?
2: Um, well, I guess technically. I was a researcher because I'd professionally been a librarian for um, most of my adult life. But if you weren't going to be technical about it, I've always really been very comforted by plants in the natural world, and I've always, since I can remember from my earliest um, childhood, have a lot of really like strong plant memories, and then when I was a little bit older, my, um, stepmother introduced me to, uh, herbal medicine when I was like a teenager. And then when I was in my early twenties, I had, I found a book, um, in the late eighties, um, by the Tice family who are, um, German herbalists. It's called, um, family the family herbal and so i often referred back to that book and carried around with me for years and lent it out to a couple people and had to buy more copies for myself <laughs> because they never gave it back to me and so um that was like the my first um kind of herbal forays and um kind of a more personal story my stepmother I, somehow she talked to some sort of fortune-telling person who who told her that she had been a blind herbalist in a past life and so we would often talk about herbs but I kind of felt like it was her territory and so I kind of didn't want to delve too far into her area but I was always interested and um then when I had a little bit more time I decided I wanted to be more formally um taught and be around more herbalists. And so I asked her if she wanted to come with me, but uh, she, I don't know, she hasn't really wanted to do any formal training. And so I ended up going to school on my own. And um, so that's kind of a little, not too detailed uh, around how I kind of came to herbalism more formally.
1: And Adam, are you also an herbalist or?
3: No, you- I I sort of came at the project because my I was I was trained. I'm also a librarian, and I've been working in and around Eastern European history and culture, again, for a really long time. So that was sort of the compliment. And Meditra brought, you know, the plant and herbal knowledge to the project. And I had a lot of, you know, I was able to work with a lot of interesting material, research materials that came, that came out of Eastern Europe. And certainly, you know, we talked about Minnesota a little bit before we started. And I, I you know, I got, did a lot of training as in, in Eastern European folklore when I was at the University of Minnesota years and years ago. So I, I certainly, you know, was able to contextualize a lot of the stuff that we were finding. And you've
2: um, also done some research and publication on yeah. plants. Um, chocolate and yeah, wine. wine. I've done a yes. yeah, I've
3: done a fair amount of meat plants in Eastern Europe. Most most wine and olives mostly. Mm.
0: So, well, I um, I have a question that's going to just be a little bit off. So, what do two librarians fight about?
3: <laughs> oh, we we,
0: <laughs> we, <laughs> we fight
3: about books. <laughs> no. um, this
1: doesn't belong here. <laughs> with regard to the
3: plan, <laughs> I'm just curious. I'm just From curious. On
2: yeah.
3: <laughs> N-A-C goes at the beginning of the M's. It doesn't go
0: to the end. <laughs> okay. Fair. Okay. I, just, I just. Yeah, no. <laughs> I just, I, those discussions would yeah, be like.
1: Agree. <laughs> agree to disagree, perhaps. Yeah. About... Yeah, it'd be a lot of a lot of that.
0: <laughs> Anyway, I, I can do.
1: imagine how your herb shelf must be arranged.
2: <laughs> My, it's actually kind of chaotic.
1: Ah,
3: that's the very secret of librarians that are often really disorganized. That's what
0: drives people into the uh, profession.
2: But all the herb books are together.
3: Yeah, all the herb books are together. <laughs>
2: that's good. That's good.
0: Well, it's, it's, the, it's the shoe cobbler thing, right? The shoe cobbler shoes are never fixed, but over everybody else's shoes are great. Yeah. So everybody yeah. else's books are arranged, you know? <laughs>
2: And we nice. often go on Bookman's holidays,
0: nice. as opposed to Bus's holidays. Yes. <laughs> ah, okay, nice. Okay, so back to herbalism.
2: <laughs> well, when
1: I while I was reading your book, one of the things I loved about it was the storytelling aspect of it. I mean, when I was there, were many times where I to just, just set it down and just sit and be with the power of what you were talking about with how herbalism and how how it. How Well, through the community, how important it was and how di- different herbalist trades arose and fell away and all of that. I mean, it was it's I have a hard time putting it into words because it was there was a really powerful and it was vibrant.
0: And oh, there's
1: you. also this grief that I felt because so much of it has felt lost. Even though. Yeah you're helping to uncover it and make it not lost like you know finding truffles yeah
2: <laughs> 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 oh thank you thank you so much for reading it so sensitively and 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 having so much heartfelt feeling around it um and i'm getting chills listening to your story about the stories and um yeah it it was it was really heartbreaking in so many ways to just have to read through so much loss, you know, Um, even though I felt like, yeah, we were like finding these little nuggets of gold, you know, Mm -hmm. in this pile of ash kind of, you know, and um, it's sad in a lot of ways because so much of that history is just so Just beyond grief, you know, but at the same time, I also felt like we were bringing a lot of it back to life and just like, just, um, what would you call revivifying it, resuscitating it. And to me, that was just kind of like, um, what we call a mitzvah, you know, like a kind of like a, a good thing to do for all these people who had, you know, lived and died really heroically, you know, and never had been acknowledged for like their knowledge and the amazing work that they did for their people, you know?
1: Yeah. One of the things that was particularly poignant for me was the, I forgot the name of the midwife trade, but the the midwives that would give birth to the children, you know, would help not give birth, but help with the giving the birthing. And then they, Mm -hmm. They considered them their own children, and they had that amazing relationship. I mean, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, my heart just started to just, you know, ache for that. But also, it's it's so unlike anything that we have now, or that we even read about in other herbal traditions, or, you know, even just Western. Maybe that was there too, but I don't recall ever seeing references to that kind of community connection that the plants brought do you know what i mean
2: yeah yeah i mean we read about little pieces of that here and there i mean there was a midwife in conative uh who came from um a book uh about um it's called memoirs of a grandmother and Mm she um uh oh god the woman's name the writer the original writer was uh Pauline Wangaroff, and the, it was her grandmother-in-law named Byla, yeah. and Byla would be, you know, available at people's call whenever she was needed. Yeah. I mean, it, it, she'd be in bed and somebody would tap on her window really quietly. Yeah. And she'd just get up and put on her big fur coat because it was probably cold in the winter and go to the medicine cabinet next to her bed and pull out all the things that she needed to go to this woman who was in labor. And, you know, I mean, that story was just like, so you could see it, you know, it was so vivid. And it's just like that woven together with the other stories about these other Bulbas, which is what uh, the grand... Grandmother, and these are the old fashioned, unprofessionally trained midwives um, who were folk healers. And um, these babas in all the towns, all the towns had these women, and they were the ones who brought the children into the world. And then the children they would think of as their own grandchildren, yeah. and then. When the women died, they would light candles and have this procession of hundreds, I don't know, thousands of people who would honor this woman who had brought them into the world. And I just, that's another just really vivid visual scene that was just, you know, repeated over and over again. And in fact, Anski, the uh, ethnographer who had gone to many of those villages uh, Mm -hmm. in the early. 1900s to talk to these vanishing healers and other people who practice these folk traditions even has a picture of one of these Babas and some of the children around mm-hmm. her. And in the questionnaire that he put together, there's a section specifically on these um, older women healers. And it talks about these candle light um, commemorative um just events that happened after they died.
3: Yeah. It's. Oh, just, yeah, no, you really hit up. That was one of the things that sort of came through, which was just amazing was the extent to which, you know, health and healing were communal. Yeah. Communal affairs. I mean, really just, you know, everybody, it was everybody's business. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But I, I, I also want to say that, you know, many people also had, um, uh, Midwives in the villages who weren't Jewish, Mm -hmm. you know, and and it was also reciprocal. Like many people who weren't Jewish would um, take on the Jewish midwife, so it was, it was like Adam was saying, it was very communal, and people took care of each other, you know, it was. And that was another just really, really revelatory thing that we came across again, Mm -hmm. over and over and over again, and it was just really sweet and heartbreaking that people don't know about this part of yeah. life in these small towns
0: what um general areas of the where were you covering in the book i mean eastern european is quite a large area so oh, was yeah. there specific regions i i, I wasn't sure
2: yeah. I'll let you talk about oh,
0: that. Um, <coughs> I mean, the, the, the crucial part
3: of, of, of the research that you know, where Dietrich sort of uncovered, you know, we call it a hidden herbal, mm-hmm. um, was uh, in um, right, what they call right bank Ukraine. So um, west of you know, Kiev uh, in the regions like Podolia, Volinia, um, basically you, southeast of Warsaw and north of the Black Sea um we did encounter other references further afield as far north as lithuania belarus um a lot of a lot of stuff from poland um less less stuff from other parts of eastern europe um we worked on the the, the, the pale settlement which was was un, under the russian under the tsars had a, a fairly strict boundary you know what uh, poland no, most of poland most of Ukraine, most of Belarus, a lot of Lithuania, some of what, yeah, Romania, bit of Romania, yeah. Like so Europa. you would
0: say that most of the knowledge and this things that you are talking about were, were basically um, destroyed World War II and the communism afterwards.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly the Holocaust put paid, but one of the, um, I mean, one of the one of the sources that 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 you know, Dietrich relied on, which was a, a book called "Herbs Used in Ukrainian Folk um, mm-hmm. medicine. medicine," was um, based on field work that was conducted in in the region um, between the wars, mm-hmm. and there are references in that work, which was actually published after the war. But um, the author noted, or maybe it was the introduction, noted that you know this was done up to and during. Collectivization, which of course had a huge impact on, on, you know, a lot of, a lot of traditional practices where, you know, um, but, uh, what shocked us, and this is something we talked less about, was, um, the degree to which, um, traditional plant knowledge wasn't, was actually incorporated into, um, the Soviet, um, official materia medica. Yeah. You know, they show that was these surveys were conducted precisely because the government was trying to, you know, access, uh, you know, uh, pharmaceuticals that they could, you know, manufacture or refine domestically. And they relied heavily on native informants or local informants for all sorts of things. And that was something that was and I think is still practiced to a much greater degree in 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 Russia, Ukraine, Lithuania, successor states, the Soviet Union than in the West.
0: Has there been a move back to more of these traditional remedies and sources in the last decade since the fall of the Soviet Union, if you will?
2: I'm sorry. Could you repeat that?
0: Well, I was wondering if since the fall of the Soviet Union and and those bloc countries are you know kind of doing their own thing, is there been a resurgence in sharing this common knowledge? Is it coming back or is it just? Amongst? Amongst the people that are there, Do oh, I don't me?
2: think he went away.
1: Mm. I don't oh well, good.
0: Oh, well, I mean, yeah. you yeah. <laughs> I, I mean,
1: I my my family, most of my ancestors moved here from Poland, I believe, in the nineteen like nineteen hundred 1900 and nineteen twenty before the first World War. The last mm. one to come here was my grandmother, who had been born here. And then her mother died, I don't know for sure of what, but she died of something, and her father sent her back to be raised by some family friends, um, about 20 miles-ish from Krakow, a little north of that. Mm -hmm. And then just as the, the Nazis had begun to invade their area, so right... You know, she was 19 years old at that time. So she was, you know, it was her young formative years and all of that from like age three to 19 was when Mm -hmm. she was living there. And then they she was still had her papers for being an American. And they said, now you're 19. You need to get out because this is going to be very bad for you. So she left. And the legacy of her experience is she was the one of all the relatives that had the most things, if you will, that she'd still carried from the old world. And I remember her, I vaguely remember her referencing the evil eye once or twice, but I remember my mother especially talking about growing up here in America with all the other school kids. It was so embarrassing that mom would talk about the evil eye every now and then and things like that.
0: Whoa, 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 whoa. So- <laughs> you, you just can't roll that out and not define it, evil eye.
1: <laughs> that was part of what, I, so we'll get to that, but okay. that was part of what I found fascinating about the approach that the Ashkenazi herbalists and the herbalists of and the healer, healers of Eastern Europe Took was that the spiritual and the plants and the physical are all kind of one.
0: Are you looking for a store that specializes in herbal products for health, beauty, your home, and even magic? The realherbmarket.com is that store. You can choose from multiple sellers to select the best herbal products from real herbalists that care about you and your needs, all under one roof with one checkout. No need to hunt and peck for herbal products on the other marketplaces. You'll find only herbs, herbals, and herb inspired products at the Real Herb Market.
1: Oh yeah! And so, I mean, if you guys could explain the evil eye thing, it would be helpful.
0: Yeah, for the for the rest of us.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. oh boy, the evil eye! Um, it's really an ancient, ancient um, belief, and it, um, in terms of like Ashkenazim it's i think i believe it's even in the uh the hebrew bible it's mentioned and um it's the belief that you don't want to say anything too good about somebody that you love or a situation that you're um just happy about because you don't want to bring jealousy because that mm-hmm will cause um it's basically negative energy and it could ruin you know whatever it is that you want to protect and so i read somewhere too that the the practitioners also tried to uh um take care of the evil eye before it caused even more problems down Mm. the road so um I, I think that's pretty much a universal, although I can't speak for other people outside of my own culture. Um, in my family, um, we never really talked about it specifically, but like on my dad's side, my grandmother's family, my, my, that family was from Ukraine, and they would always say kinahura, which is like a whisper down lane kind of version of hora which means no evil eye in Mm. Hebrew. And then on my mother's side, they're from Poland and they had a different dialect and she would actually say the whole thing with their accent, which I can't really pronounce (laughs) because it's really.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So it sounded, they both sound Mm -hmm. different, but they both mean the same thing, which is, you know, no evil eye. You know, whatever you just said, let's not talk about it because we don't want to bring, you know, negative energy to it. So, but my mom's family didn't really say it that much. On the other hand, my grandmother's family and my dad's, side, that it was trotted out quite a bit. (laughs) And I, you know, have been known to say it every once in a
3: while. My grandmother would would spit.
2: Yeah, that was another part of it.
1: Uh, Yes. I've heard of that. That was not that I didn't see that, but... (laughs) <laughs> I didn't see that in in my family my ancestors or my like I cuz I knew a lot of my great aunts and uncles when I was a child and I didn't I didn't see the spitting but I had heard of the spitting <laughs>
2: So yeah, not really it's spitting more like
0: it's like a like,
3: symbolic yeah. it's you like do. saying
1: you do. Do. Yeah yeah
0: yeah 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 us uh, Swedes and uh, Norwegians don't do that
1: No <laughs> don't worry about that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and My one of the side. things, yeah. one of the things that the Ashkenazim did, though, is they had plants that they used as a part of if someone had invoked or caused or or or, or um, caught the eye of the evil eye, had gotten the attention of right. the evil eye. They had plants that they would employ to help with getting rid of the evil eye and undoing.
2: Yeah, um, some of those would be things like garlic. Mm-hmm. um saint john's wort um i it's we haven't found exact like recipes for any of these things but references to them and so saint john's wort um was uh something that um was even named um in terms of not exactly the evil eye but it translates to um protect against demons. And yeah. demons are also associated with the evil eye. So, um, one instance that we did find on um, the uh, the application of Saint John's Ward was uh, a story that was told by the author of the Ukrainian um, survey herself, and it was about her father who um, went to go see a village "quote unquote" quack. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) we not formally trained, but this quack was able to heal him, um, with St. John's wort because he was having digestive issues. And as we all know, digestive issues are often related to stress, you know, and, um, I mean, she didn't say that, but, you know, that's my interpretation of it, that the St. John's wort, uh, was, um, able to help him, um, Get over this digestive issue that he's had for years, and um, yeah, I think the mod the modern interpretation of Saint John's Wort is to uh, is to um, is to help people with anxiety and depression. Yeah, and um, so it's interesting to me that this was the plant that this quack mm-hmm. had uh, given to her. Father that helped him um, get over his digestive issues because it was almost as if they were um, looking into the future, or at yeah. least um, they knew about this kind of um, relaxation quality of yeah. St. John's work to remove, you know, probably what they were considering demons or you yeah. know this negative evil eye energy. So that's kind of like a roundabout way of talking <laughs> about. <laughs>
3: Right, I think a, a lot of psychosomatic ailments were often associated yeah. with the evil eye. Yeah. Like yeah, fear,
2: fear, fear. fear. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. And a lot of those types of things, if you, if you, if you're thinking you might get something, and you're worried about something, then you start to manifest that same something, almost yeah. as yeah. if you need to have a justification for all this energy you're putting into this thought and. You know, that's the same. It's kind of what the evil eye is doing. It's taking all that energy yeah. and, you know, helping you manifest mm-hmm. what you're
2: thinking about. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a saying about that, but I can't, I'll think of
0: it. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I don't think she thought we'd talk about that today.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, Uh, (laughs) you know, one of the things that I don't see, I mean, I sort of see in a lot of the other, the big herbal practices, the big three that are in the, and then modern herbalism. We talk about the physical, physicality of the plants a lot. And we treat the spiritual aspect of the plants as this separate, very separate thing. And we don't always acknowledge the fact that it's still the plants. So it's all kind of the same thing, you know? but that was one of the things that i thought was powerful in reading reading your work was that you really it was very very clear that the spiritual and the physical were one and they were treated as one so you always take care of you know the spiritual needs of the of the patient or the person as well as the physical needs and for the ashkenazim that included knowing the right you know being being studied in knowing which bible verses to use or which you know prayers to say as well as which herbs are going to help and when you look at the herbs they were using oftentimes now with all of the knowledge from the many directions we have including all those big herbal practices we can see why that particular plant would have been employed in that particular space and well I wasn't you you didn't include like a liturgy of all the different prayers that they were using. I would bet anything if you sat down and looked at any you know any given set of prayers for this condition and all of that, you'll find that the mm-hmm. prayers address exactly what the plant is addressing in the person together, like the same spiritual emotional connection is probably there.
0: Are you telling us uh, you I
1: think I, don't <laughs> that's want to what I
2: think. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I was thinking bit,
2: but,
3: yeah, go little. ahead. Oh, um, um yeah, we talked about it. I mean it's sort of in right. There are all kinds of sort of forms of verbal art. Yeah. Which my UN, uh folklore training coming to yes. before. Um that were incorporated, have been incorporated into the yeah. healing modalities, such as um but you know, the, the incantations that you would use to remove an evil eye that would be yeah. accompanied by, you know, some other treatment like a you know a ceremony or a, or a administration of plant medicine yeah um also uh the use of you know uh written amulets yeah and prayer you know which would be you know using little slips of paper Mm -hmm. and that's something you asked about like you know what practices are still um being used we actually there's a step 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 so yeah, they, uh, there was a right. documentary that a friend of ours told us about last year called Shtetlers, where they, um it's a, a documentary that's set in, you know, Ukraine. in Ukraine in yeah. a little bit of Moldova, where they, the filmmakers went to these former Shtetls that are now either depopulated, there's certainly, you know, there there's no hardly any more Jews living there. But in one case, they went and there's a, a sort of a, still a wonder working rabbi. Nice. Um, somewhere in the South, um, I can't remember the exact town, but, you know, they, they had footage of him just being sitting there and, you know, and sort of having a line, a line of, um, uh, uh of people with various ailments come up to him, uh, all of whom are, are, you know, are, are not Jewish, you know, right. Ukrainian peasants. And they just, and they were in search of the amulets and, yeah. you know, and the remedies. But that was, that's still an enormous, an enormous part of, um, of of the healing modalities that are sort of shared.
2: Yeah, and I wanted to add that um, so many of the uh, incantations that we found that were um, whispered by the Abspracharans, which is one of the words that um, is a name for some of these uh, traditional women healers. um, A lot of what they said And whispered as part of the healing was often not even Jewish you know sometimes it was in it included Christian saints or um, just other words that might not have been associated with uh, Judaism Um, and um, what we found and what you probably remember from the book is that um, the healers from other cultures, even um, in Poland and Ukraine, also practiced in this way, and so they yeah. shared with each other. Yeah. And um, what we, what I found was, um, one woman had recorded some of the uh, incantations in Ukrainian and then translated them into English, and they were so similar; it was yeah. almost like they were interchangeable, which was just. Astounding to me, which also means that people really cared about each other and they shared these amazing healing powers with each other, you know, and they went to each other for their, um, their, their healing work. So, you know, these things cross boundaries and there doesn't sound like there was discrimination when healing was involved you
3: know
1: yeah there was amazing <laughs> from what you guys have described there was an amazing cross current of knowledge that was happening in that area and yeah. it was coming from the communities and the in the religions and practices there but it was also coming from the further east and it was coming from further west and it was com- moving in this way that allowed that area was was designed if that's even the right word but that area was created in a way that the people could absorb and work with all these currents of healing and then synergize them into practices that they all shared yeah it was
2: it sounds like
1: it was an amazing time
2: you know exactly and there are so many different cultures living there together you know, close to each other. And, and of course it was on these um, roads, these trade routes, you know, different silk routes. And so people were constantly coming into contact with each other, you know, trading stories, trading products, trading information, trading herbs, um, and like healing stories, you know? And so there was so much of this just kind of cross-cultural, um, I just think about it like colors just kind of melding into each other, you know, and just making this incredible just melange or just rainbow or mosaic
3: yeah. of
2: just different, um, just sharing and, you know, healing together. And so we often heal, hear just the really negative parts of that time and that place. But I think, you know, so many of the stories of the, just the, just the, I don't know, the beautifulness of the people being together is just overlooked and missed by so much of what's been written down in history, you know. And that's just, I don't know, I, we hope to, you know, maybe alleviate some of that and bring some of the light back into our stories that we share together, you know.
3: Yeah. Um, no, it's one of the. I mean, because of Eastern Europe, just this geographical setting. I mean, it, it absorbs influences from from every direction. I mean, I'm, yeah. it's it's probably in the 19th century. It wasn't un, uncommon to have you know uh, an herbal practitioner who could re- rely on uh, you know remedies from Dioscorides. Right. But mm-hmm. also rely on like Siberian ginseng or galangal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. That the <laughs> yeah. and that yeah. was something that we were just you know we we hope to like be able to sort of um, continue to sort of tease out, as they say. Yeah. That was like you know there's like hints of something really amazing.
2: Yeah.
3: That um we're hoping that we can.
2: Yeah, we're working on another book.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I'm I'm gonna be looking forward to that. <laughs> oh, <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: I do have to ask. I mean, you guys had—I think it was 26 herbs that you covered. Of them, what would you say was the one that maybe most surprised you the most, or delighted you the most that you weren't expecting? And un- un- as you were, you had an idea of what it was, but then as you started doing the research, you were like, "Ah, yeah."
2: Um, I know I've answered this question before because um, it was it was really surprising to me was to know that people in the pale weren't just living in these mud floor huts you right. know just you know walking around barefoot in the <laughs> snow they, they had access to so many herbs that you yeah. would be like amazed like ginger and like I was saying galangal and um Cinnamon and just things that you just would not expect. And one of the ones that we included in the book is nutmeg.
0: Yes. And so
2: I'm
3: like, what? <laughs> <laughs>
2: And so I, I had to figure out, well, how did nutmeg get there? And so in the book, you know, I kind of go through this whole history of where nutmeg comes from and the first instances of it in Western Europe and and how how did it get there? And, you know, what what is it even known for where it originates from? And so that, yeah, nutmeg was one of the ones that was just like, how you know it was just kind of <laughs> blowing and it was just mentioned so casually so casually in this recipe <laughs> that was for a woman who had just given birth and needed to relax a little bit yeah nice.
0: that so. would not be an herb that i would have thought of for that yeah, yeah. You know, i mean just, yeah. just eastern europe i was thinking. Parsley, maybe you've got your onions, you got your garlic, maybe dill and caraway, dill, you know, yeah. <laughs> caraway. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not nutmeg. Not <laughs> However, it's your grandmother's stroganoff recipe that was heavily,
1: yeah, you can't have good stroganoff without nutmeg.
0: Not a nutmeg.
2: Wow. wow. <laughs>
0: So, it has
1: so, a
2: weird deepening effect, yes. you know, like yeah. brings out other flavors in unexpected ways. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Yeah.
0: So who do you hope reads your book? What's your like target audience? Who do you want to to see it?
2: Um. Well, okay. I started working on the research because... When I was in school, the program that I was in focused on Western urban herbal medicine. And so um, I tell a story about the first day of classes where, you know, we were asked to go around the room and talk about herbs that, you know, your grandmother or your mother might have brought into the picture if you had a fever or if you were nauseous or whatever. And um, everyone, just about everyone in in my class, you know, had an herb that, um, you know, they could recall. And when it came my turn, I could think of, well, my mom, you know, would put tea in with honey and lemon. And, you know, she had this way of crushing up an aspirin and putting it in honey to make it easier for us to take. But I couldn't really think of anything. And that was just really kind of like, yeah. A, a grain of sand, you know, in an yeah. oyster. And it was just it bugged me because the whole program that I went through, we were always asked to kind of refer back to your ancestral practices. And yeah. so I, yeah. at the very beginning, I felt like what I was calling an inter an herbal interloper yeah. because all, I couldn't find anything, you know? Yeah. And, and so I was having to go to, you know, a lot of Western herbal and even some Eastern herbal, Um, sources, and then I found a book on Polish herbs, and I found a book on Ukrainian herbs and um, Russian herbs, and I figured, well, you know, my ancestors would have been around these people, so maybe, you know, some of it trickled in. Well, after doing all the research and having all these revelations and these breakthroughs and these mind-blowing discoveries, I came to realize that, you know, uh, that it's not really important to feel like an herbal interloper, you know, because the plants are their own beings. That's, this Mm -hmm. is what I came to after all is said and done. The plants are their own beings and you can't really colonize a plant, you know, by (laughs) doing it, you know? Yeah because they're so generous, you know, they'll, they'll work with anybody, you know, who will connect with them. They don't discriminate, you know, from one group to another. So that was a huge revelation to me. But having said all that, I do think it's important for other people of, you know, a similar background to me to know this. And I think that you can only come to this from going through what I went through, which is to find that we too have you know our own traditions and plants that we look to and yet and yet you know it's it's not really about that you know so I hope that people who are you know of Ashkenazi descent and who are wondering about this read the book because yeah. it's kind of like a rite of passage kind of to, to, to just know be aware that yes yes you you also have a legacy. You also have traditions. But mm-hmm. you know, after all said and done, we all are people, and we've all um, looked to the plants for our healing. Yeah. That's, <laughs> so that's that's really beautiful. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. It was it was definitely it was kind of like walking through fire in some ways, you know, and coming out the other end. But you know, I just. I really feel like it was so important to, to learn that, you know, and I don't know if I could have learned it any other way.
1: The story that you have told with your book, with Ashkenazi herbalism is powerful and it is layered in emotions and beauty and it's eloquent. So thank you. I mean, really, thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you for being so understanding and open and just I don't know. I'm sending love your way because I just really feel so so much appreciation and love to you guys for you know oh, for doing you. what you do. And well, thanks. you know. Yeah. Um,
0: so how can people get a hold of your book and you? <laughs> yes. Mm.
2: Oh boy. <clears throat> well, I did put together a um a website, which is just Ashkenazi herbalism, all one string.net. I also post on uh, Instagram occasionally under that name. And we also have a Facebook page that I also occasionally um, post to, and they're all, you know, kind of different because (laughs) (laughs) my shelves, you know, (laughs) kind of not very systematic about, you know, Posting, but it makes it more exciting that way right check
3: them all out, yeah, all so
2: check
3: out. <laughs> and, and the book itself
2: and the book itself well we hope that yeah. everyone will go to um, like independent bookstores and um, look there and maybe um, ask them to order it for you of course there are all the usual suspects that you can go to too Um okay and um, libraries are also carrying it, so if you yeah. um, can't afford it or don't want to buy it outright, you can also um, do an interlibrary loan
3: for it. Or, or tell your local library to buy it. Or yeah, I was going to local- say, go tell your local <laughs> library
1: to get it because you know. Yeah,
2: exactly.
0: yeah. Are you are you selling it directly from your site or not?
2: Um, no, we haven't done that. I I suppose we could, but uh, yeah, if somebody wants to email us, you know, through the site, we can we can do that too.
0: And then you can sign it too.
2: Yes, and we will sign. We'll be happy to
0: sign. (laughs) Great. At the end of uh, every one of our shows, we always have a a saying, and the saying is um, "Put a nerve on it."
2: Uh, Yeah. So what what
0: we do is is we ask our guests, when prompted, to repeat with us, "Put a nerve on it." So I'm going to right. So here we go. One two, three, put, put an a nerve, put a nerve on. on it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You guys have a g- great day.
1: Oh, oh yes. You too. You too. You Candace, too. Thank,
2: thank you, you so much. I can't thank you enough. And I'm going to be listening to your podcast all the time now. <laughs> Yay. Yay.
0: Okay. The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem.